Hello and welcome to ZSL's Wild Science Podcast. I am Moni Böhm, a researcher at the Zoological Society of London's Institute of Zoology, and today we will be talking about conserving the mountain chicken. Now, I'm not going to lie, when I first started work at ZSL some years ago, I heard a lot of talk about this mountain chicken. And at the time, coming primarily from a mammalian ecology background, and frankly, being German and taking pretty much everything literally, I kind of expected this mountain chicken to be, well, an actual chicken. So imagine my surprise when it instead turned out to be a giant frog. At least that way, the main story at the time about a chicken being affected by an amphibian disease made much more sense. And this is the subject of today's podcast. Not me taking things way too literal, but the conservation of the mountain chicken frog in the face of the fungal disease chytridiomycosis, or in short, chytrid. Now, amphibians as a group are overall far more threatened than other vertebrate groups, such as mammals and birds. And one of the reasons for many of the precipitous declines we have seen recently is this chytrid disease. The mountain chicken frog is one of the species which has seen the steepest declines, being currently listed as critically endangered on the IUCN Red List. So to shed light on this crisis and to explain how we are trying to save the mountain chicken, I will be joined by a number of experts on mountain chickens and amphibian disease. First up, it's Helen Meredith. Helen is the executive director of the Amphibian Survival Alliance and a past Citizel colleague. What she doesn't know about the mountain chicken is either not worth knowing or just fake news. So Helen, for the benefit of our listeners and myself, to be honest, can you describe the mountain chicken for us? The mountain chicken is a large frog. It's one of the largest frogs in the world, just over 20 centimetres snout to vent length. It is mottled brown with dark bands across its legs, very attractive looking beast. It's sort of mottled so it camouflages in really well with the forest floor and it has beautiful golden eyes. Sounds beautiful. So why is it so confusingly called the mountain chicken? Both the islands it still survives on are very mountainous, in Montserrat and Dominica. So it's found in kind of mountainous areas, although generally lower down in kind of wet forests. So partly to do with where it, it lives, and the chicken part is is an awful lot to do with how it tastes. So it was once the national dish of Dominica. Um, people were harvesting up to 36,000 or more individuals a year, and uh, widely consumed. Um, so yeah, sadly it got its name from its its flavour. Again, for the benefit of our listeners, I had actually understood the bit, the mountain part of the name. <laughs> I was more struggling with the chicken part. So what, in a nutshell, is the basis for the species current listing as critically endangered um, on the IUCN Red List? So it used to exist in a number of islands across the Lesser Antilles in the Caribbean and it, it gradually went extinct from those due to things like deforestation and over-harvesting. So it now has really rather a small range. Both the islands it's on are extremely volcanic. Apparently uh, Dominique is about 1% the size of the UK and yet it has nine potentially active volcanoes crammed within that area and everyone knows the volcano Montserrat's quite active so some of the habitat's been destroyed from that, it's also been threatened by invasive species, um, including rats and, and pigs that, again, affect its its habitat. So it's, it's not doing very well in, in the wild. So part of the critically endangered status comes from, from these threats, particularly disease. But a lot of the places, the zoos that work on their survival are participating in conservation breeding programs to reintrodu reintroduce them back into the wild and hoping that they will recover partly through help, but partly naturally 
bounce back from these disease events and become more common in the wild again. Cool. Thank you, Helen. So we have already mentioned a couple of times this chytrid disease that is affecting the mountain chicken frog, but also other amphibians around the world. Professor Andrew Cunningham is a wildlife epidemiologist here at ZSL and actually one of, if not the, discoverer of chytridiomycosis as a disease in amphibians. So Andrew, how does one go about discovering a disease in amphibians? Pretty much the same ways one would go about discovering a disease in any other type of animal. With the amphibians, we were investigating causes of apparent disappearance and declines. And so we were able to get our hands on some of these dead animals and just carried out systematic post-mortem examinations through all the body tissues to find out if anything abnormal is present. So essentially, there were global declines observed in amphibians, and quite a lot of them were then linked to this disease. So what is this disease? It's sometimes referred to as chytrid fungus, chytridiomycosis. Some people call it BD. What precisely should we call it? Okay, so... What this disease is, um, its proper name is amphibian chytridiomycosis. It's caused by a non-hyphal chytrid fungus. Now, there are many different types of chytrid fungi out there in the world. This was the first one to be discovered that infected a vertebrate. All the others tend to either infect invertebrates or are uh, saprobes, so they just live in the soil. Uh, some of them infect fungi or algae, but this was the first one to be found infected a vertebrate. So that was quite a novel uh, finding, and it was given the name Batrachochytrium dendrobatidis, which is rather a mouthful, so generally people call it BD for short. I will stick with BD. I will not try and, and ever pronounce this word again. So how does it affect frogs and other amphibians? What does it specifically do to them? This uh, fungus, BD, is only known to infect amphibians and it only infects one particular part of an amphibian and that is the keratinized tissues. Now in larvae, uh, like tadpoles... Many species of amphibians, their tadpoles have keratinized mouth parts and we can find the infection there. But generally it doesn't tend to kill them, although it can stunt their growth. It's when it infects metamorphosed amphibians that the problem really occurs. And there the keratinized tissue is the skin. And this is an intracellular pathogen, so it invades into the cells of the amphibian skin. And what it does then is it affects the permeability of the skin. Now, the skin in amphibians, as in all animals, is really important. But in amphibians, they use the skin for osmoregulation. And the infection inhibits or prevents proper osmoregulation of the amphibian. And so it loses electrolytes, um, which disturbs things like muscle function. And one of the most important muscles in the body is the heart. And so we think that the actual cause of death is heart attack. So is this a global problem? What are its impacts on amphibian wildlife globally? Um, this disease has now been found in every part of the world that amphibians exist. We think this disease has been spread mainly by human activity You might not think that amphibians are moved around the world much, but actually the amphibian trade is massive 
and it's unregulated. So there are no real records of which amphibians are being moved around within or between which countries. Habitat loss is probably the biggest cause of amphibian population declines, but BD is almost certainly the most important cause of amphibian extinctions currently. And we think we've lost around about 200 species of amphibian in the last 30 or so years because of this disease. And there are others on their way out. Okay, thank you very much. So with me now is Mike Hudson. Now, Mike did his PhD with CSL, Durrell Wildlife Conservation Trust and the University of Kent on the conservation management of the mountain chicken. So essentially, he is a walking encyclopedia on the species and is now working as a conservation scientist at Durrell on the next stages of the Mountain Chicken Conservation Project. So Mike, just out of interest, uh, when you first signed up to work on the Mountain Chicken Project, were you aware that you were going to work on a frog, or are you by now just a very frustrated birder? <laughs> Someone did mention it, thankfully, yeah. Um, although an Antiguan newspaper did quote me as a, a poultry researcher at one point, so <laughs> there's still confusion. Right, that, that, that's a relief. Um, I suppose, if nothing else, you had some lovely fieldwork locations to visit. Can you tell us about the two islands, Dominica and Montserrat, and what the situation of the mountain chicken is on these islands? Yes, so in terms of frogs on the island, Dominica, we think there are now around 150, 200 animals. So it's a slight recovery on eff- effectively none about 10 years ago. So there's something going on in Dominica. Montserrat's a bit more bleak, and we think there are two known individuals left. So how does one study mountain chickens? Okay, so in the wild, most of our time is spent walking through the forest at night with head torches shining around. And hopefully, if you're lucky, you get a glimpse of red eye shine, which is um, how you you see the frogs. And sometimes you'll hear them. They have quite a distinctive whooping call. Um, And when we caught them, we measure them, lots of essential measurements, lengths, weights, etc. But the primary sort of instrument of research is skin swabbing, um, where we, we get sort of a cotton bud, a modified cotton bud, wipe it on the skin. And then we carry out um, molecular diagnostics. So um, we look at whether there's this DNA for the disease on the skin and we can say whether or not that frog is infected. And so we work out how many frogs are infected, how badly they're infected and what drivers are of those patterns. And that's the main sort of tool we have. So I suppose you didn't just spend all your time in Montserrat or Dominica chasing mountain chickens in the sunshine or in fact in the dark, as I learned now. There's a whole section of your work which focused on developing antifungal treatments for the frogs. Just briefly, how does one develop an antifungal treatment? So lots of other researchers have come up with these these ideas. And what we did that was unique was take them from captivity where we know they work and take them into the field. But effectively, it's a bath, a wash. So we put itraconazole with water in a plastic bag and we sort of swill the frogs around and uh, that yeah, sort of kills the fungus in its skin. And that's the treatment. So what we did was to try that in the field, wash as many frogs as we could over, uh, as regularly as possible and see what effect it had on infection rates and mortality. So how well is this treatment going to work in practice? What's the expectation So we tried a trial in 2009 and it worked fairly well in the short term. There was an increase in survival rates of about 10% per week. There was a loss of infection of 20% per week compared to controls and a decrease in infection rate of about 5% a week. So these are numbers that don't really mean anything to me um, sort of off the top of my head. So we turned them into population models and effectively treatment of the mountain chicken population that we tried would have increased the time to extinction from about 49 weeks to about 125. So it's well over a year, the kind of longevity we add through treatment. That might not sound particularly interesting because likelihood is the frog still goes extinct, but it sort of buys time for conservation. So if we don't have a facility 
to put the frogs in. We buy a bit of time, build a facility maybe, and then capture the frogs to put them in captivity, stop them going extinct. Lots of other sort of reasons like we think the risk from this disease, mycosis, is seasonal. So um, if we were able to maintain the frogs through the high risk period, then um, using that tool, we might prevent extinction in the long term. Right. We are now moving along swiftly to have a look at the conservation measures taken to help this species. With me now is Christopher Michaels, who is an amphibian and reptile biologist in the herpetology section here at ZSL London Zoo. And yet another mountain chicken hero. Uh, Chris, thanks for joining us. So I suppose it's easy to think that captive breeding of frogs just requires a good terrarium and some frogs and off you go. Um, but I would assume, though, that it's much more complicated than this. How difficult is it to breed mountain chickens? So, yeah, it requires quite a lot of different factors to come together over the course of years to get any frogs, including mountain chickens, to breed. You need to understand the biology of the particular species, so that's what sort of environment it lives in, how it responds to that, um, and how it responds to it across the year. And that enables us to replicate the environmental cycles, for example, wet season, dry season, in order to tell the frogs it's time to breed. And apart from telling the frogs when it's ready to breed, you also need to get them into a position where they're healthy enough and, and are, and are well-fed enough to breed. So you need to understand what sort of environmental factors are required to maintain healthy animals, what sort of diet they require, what sort of nutrition they require, how their social structures work, and all kinds of other things about them. So you need a lot of information in order to get animals to breed. It's not just like putting a pair of mice into a, into a cage and watching them multiply. So have any of the captive-bred frogs here at ZSL made the trip back to Montserrat yet? And if so, how do you prepare a frog for a flight to Montserrat? Yeah, we have managed to send around about just over 150 frogs, I think it's 170-something animals, back to Montserrat from captive breeding programs um, in Europe, which is really, really good. And yeah, it's a long way to send the frogs. You need to make sure they're packed carefully. So the problem with mountain chickens is they're big and they have a big jump on them. And if a mountain chicken gets scared, the first thing it does is it jumps. So if you put a big frog in the small box and um, scare it by moving it, what they can do is jump against the side and they can really, really damage their faces by jumping into the, into the side of the box. So what we do is we contain each animal in a wet cloth bag, usually a pillowcase or similar, which is then tied up. And each of those is then nestled within packing material in a crate. Um, and that means that the animal isn't able to hurt itself, but it's able to move. And it keeps them moist and it keeps them free from, from damaging themselves through the flight. And the other problem is, is that once they leave our temperature control breeding facility, it's all kinds of different temperatures that it can be exposed to, which could be, say we exported in winter, it might be really cold between the breeding facility and the airport, but then might be warm while they're waiting to be packed, and then it might be cold again on the airport, and then they get to the Caribbean and it might get hot again. So what we also make sure we do is we really, really insulate the crates, um, and that means that the temperature inside stays as even as possible and suitable for them. And we also ship them with some instruments that measure the temperature throughout the journey so we can check that the animals haven't been exposed to um, the wrong temperatures. And if things were to go wrong, we can also work out what happened and how we can make it better next time. But by doing all those things together, the uh, mountain chickens usually make the, the trip completely happily. So if you had to convince a person in the street of the importance of the mountain chicken conservation program, what mountain chicken fact would you, would you use to win them round? I think it hands down has to be the the reproductive mode of the species. The fact that they 
make up this meringue-like foam nest which they guard and then lay their eggs in it and tend the tadpoles which look like bizarre pink aliens with long spindly round tails and they go back into the nest and feed them from uh, with infertile eggs and yeah just absolutely bizarre it's definitely worth looking up on on youtube and on the mountain chicken program website of the, the tadpoles feeding it's absolutely bizarre and well worth a watch cool thank you very much our next guest is Benjamin Tapley, curator of herpetology here at ZSL and an all-round amphibian conservation biologist. So Ben, um, to start off with, um, my favourite fact about the mountain chicken is quite simply that it's in fact not a chicken. What's yours? My favourite fact about the mountain chicken would probably be its diet. So we know that mountain chickens can eat tarantulas and some small snakes. So quite often we see snakes eating frogs, but it's quite nice to see the frogs getting their own back once in a while. I totally agree. I'm also not hugely keen on spiders. So today we are pretty much interviewing UK researchers working on mountain chicken conservation, but surely for the project to be successful, we need to engage with people in Dominica and Montserrat. So what is being done to engage people in mountain chicken conservation? So there's kind of a two-pronged approach. One is kind of building local amphibian conservation capacity. So we've had reciprocal visits. So we've had people from Dominica coming over to London, people from Dominica coming o going over to Jersey to attend the Desmond course. So that's where they learn a whole uh, heap of skills that they can actually go back and then put into action on, on Dominica. And then more widely, um, just raising the profile of the mountain chicken on Dominica. The species is really important as it's a it's it's a cultural icon it appears on the coat of arms it was the national dish it's the logo of the local bank so everyone knows about the mountain chicken frog but maybe not everyone's interested in conserving it so one of our goals for the project is to raise the profile and get everyone involved and participating so a little birdie though not a chicken this time uh, told me that one of the outreach events in dominica is a float at the dominican carnival is that right It's true. We've had several different presences at, at Carnival. So the, the first presence we had was a, a dance crew and they wore T-shirts which had the logos Have You Seen Me? Have You Heard Me? So this was at the beginning of the kind of really intensive field monitoring programs. We had no real idea of where mountain chickens were on Dominica. We didn't have much money to actually survey the entire island. So we wanted to get the community involved and find out when did they last see a mountain chicken, where did they see it. So hence the T-shirts, have you seen me, have you heard me, with a phone number for them to ring. And then we've had a beauty queen dressed up as a mountain chicken frog on a float going through Roseau, the capital of Dominica. So it's been really, really a useful platform for us to raise awareness about the project. Cool. Thank you very much, Ben. Right, last but by no means least, we have Sarah Louise Adams with us. She was previously a project manager of this Montserrat Mountain Chicken project. But more importantly, I was told she knows everything about washing frogs. So Sarah, my notes say that you spend six months washing frogs. I suppose the logical next question is, why? Well, that was actually how I first got involved with the Mountain Chicken project in Montserrat, was as a volunteer... And it was during the itriconazole trial project that Mike was talking about earlier. So this idea that we were trying to treat the frogs in situ in the peak of an, an epidemic wave of the BD. And so I spent six months spending two hours trekking into the middle of the forest, catching frogs, 
popping them in a bag with some stream water and an antifungal drug and giving them a wash. And that's basically how I used to describe my job to people is I was washing frogs. But we gained some important results from it, as Mike said. So it was a good thing to do. Good. Um, You were directly involved in some of the mountain chicken introductions afterwards on Montserrat. So when you found the frogs, you swapped them to get results on, I suppose, whether they were carrying the infection or not. How did the frogs do in terms of fighting off the fungus when they were out in the field? So this was um, really interesting. We actually conducted four releases over uh, between 2010 and 2014. We did um, three dry season releases and one wet season release. Um, and there was a huge difference in the infection rate of the released frogs between the wet season and the dry season. In the dry season, we had very high levels of infection very early on. We were seeing frogs with clinical signs of chytridiomycosis. They were getting sick. We were very quickly finding dead frogs. And so it was quite evident that the BD infection was having a big impact on these frogs. And it was very similar to the epidemic wave that we saw in the wild when BD first arrived. However, the wet season was completely different so we didn't see a single infected frog for 12 weeks after release so for three months these these frogs were living in the forest quite happily with no known BD infection um, and we didn't see any chytridiomycosis related deaths either through the whole six month period that we were tracking these frogs in the wet season so in the dry season when the temperatures were cooler and and it was the optimal temperature range for BD and also all the frogs um, come together in the dry season because there's not that much moisture around so that we saw a massive increase in contact rates as well all the frogs are getting cozy with each other and so we saw a lot of BD infection in our released frogs as a result during those dry season releases whereas the wet season the temperatures are a lot warmer the temperature in Montserrat often hit about 30 degrees um, and we find that with BD once you hit those kind of temperatures it actually dies and so We also find that in the wet season that the frogs, uh, there's not those contact rates. They all disperse. It's nice and wet. They don't need to be together. They disperse out of the guts where you have all these massive running streams as a result of the rain. Those frogs that were released in the wet season, didn't we didn't see the same levels of infection rates. And that was a very important result from, from our reintroductions. Good. And the last question, just very briefly. What is your favorite thing about the mountain chicken frog? Well, I really love the the call, actually, the noise that they make. When I first went out to Fairy Walk, my uh, the field team that I worked out with out there got me to sit in the middle of the forest and switch. everybody switched their head torches off and you're just left in the middle of this forest with this really powerful, whooping call. And it's really beautiful and can be heard for miles. And whenever you talk to Montserratians about the mountain chicken, that's what they remember. And they all say, that's what we want to hear again. We want to hear the calls come back. The forest, it is silent now. That's what they say and so when you hear that one call it just uh, you get goosebumps because you know that there's a frog out there calling somewhere and they're hanging on thank you very much sarah louise and there you have it the story of the mountain chicken and the amazing people trying to save this unique species i hope like me you got the impression that despite the dire situation of the species what with chytridiomycosis rife within its range and causing mortality to the frogs there is much to be hopeful about um, we have much better knowledge on how to breed mountain chickens in captivity, how to best relocate them back to the islands, how to prepare them for the potential onslaught of chytrid disease. And then there's also a great deal of awareness about the mountain chicken and its plight in the islands. However, if, like me, you are still thinking the mountain chicken is a bird, 
Feel free to listen to this podcast a few more times. For everybody else, if you are interested in finding out more, check out Mountain Chickens on Facebook. Both the Dominican and Montserrat projects have a presence there, as does a band called the Mountain Chickens, though I believe this has nothing to do with the frogs. Thank you for listening, and until the next Wild Science podcast. Mm-hmm.